to God, God, I want you to reign in my life. In our families' lives. God, in the parts and pieces of all of us where we haven't even let you in, God, would you reign in those places? Oh, God, that you would help us open the doors, those doors, and let you in so that that might be true, so that you would reign there. No compartments, nothing held back. You would reign across the totality of who we are. Reign, God. Please. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Before you take a seat, why don't you uh, hang out with one another and speak words of life to each other. Enjoy each other. I know you didn't all come to hear me preach, and so I want you to know that those guys are going to be back out to lead us some more at the conclusion of our service. If you're a guest, maybe with us for the first time, we're delighted to be with each and every one of you uh, today. If you missed last weekend's worship experiences, would you please, I understand there's a few CDs of last weekend's message out there uh, on the resource counter. Uh, If they're out by the time you make it out there, all you've got to do is hit journeyweb.net or hit uh, iTunes and you can download the podcast uh, video or audio. It really was a benchmark weekend for us as a community and uh, how it would seem that Jesus is inviting us to think about and act in these days. If you have absolutely no idea what in the world I'm talking about, uh, pick up the podcast if you would or grab a CD if there are any more on your way out and and, uh, pick that up. It's important for us as not just a Journey Church community but the wider Gallatin Valley community. And we're uh, picking up this message series, So You Want to Be Rich, Today, we took a little departure from it last week, and this is the second message in that series. And I gotta say that Andy Stanley from North Point Church down in Atlanta, and then Craig Rochelle at LifeChurch.tv have been very, very influential and instrumental in my prep for this message in this series. So thank you very much to those guys. And we're talking about money, and we're talking about our stuff, and we're talking about how to be rich and be rich well in a way that honors and pleases God. And honestly, if we're going to talk about money, and if we're going to talk about our stuff, then we have to, have to, have to talk about the deceitfulness of riches. We have to talk about the deceitfulness of riches. Because the fact is that wealth is deceitful, and so are those little tickets that you get when you go to Chuck E. Cheese. They're deceitful, Right? <laughs> You go in there and you see that glass case full of really, really cool stuff that you can trade your tickets for at the end of your seven hours in the place. And you know how it works at Chuck E. Cheese, don't you? The very first thing that you do, well, the very first thing you do right after you order uh, the cardboard crusted pizza is you trade your hard-earned money for these absolutely worthless little tokens with the image of a mouse on them, right? And then you take these absolutely worthless tokens and you 
that you just traded your hard-earned money for and you put them in these machines and these machines dispense a bunch of balls. You know the game I'm talking about, I don't even know what it's called, but it dispenses a bunch of balls and then you, you, you try to roll those balls into the 500 hole. You don't really want any other hole. You want the 500 hole. You want the ball to roll into the 500 hole and when that happens, then the machine starts spitting out those tickets and out they come and out they come and they're just like pouring out of there because you're bowling 500. It's not really bowling, but it's like cheesy bowling or something. Like that, oodles and oodles and oodles of tickets are spitting out. You roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. All evening long, you roll those balls. And the next thing you know is you've turned like a hundred of your hard-earned bucks into worthless tokens, first of all, which have then been exchanged for these balls that you don't even get to keep, which then get transformed into those tickets that will then get exchanged for the amazingly cool products in the glass case at the front of the place, Right? And so you get these tickets, and after your seven hours, you have exactly one trillion of them. You counted one trillion of them. And so you take them up to the glass case, and there's a smiling teenager standing behind the glass case, right? And he's ready to hook you up with your amazing prizes. And you hand your tickets across the counter, and you say, dude, I got a trillion tickets. I counted everyone. There's a trillion tickets. He says, okay. Here are the prizes that you get to choose from. And he, instead of reaching into his pocket to pull out the key to the glass case where all the cool stuff is, like the Wii and the Nintendo DS, maybe even want a Chuck E. Cheese hoodie, right? But you learn all that stuff in the case takes 10 trillion tickets, and you only have one trillion. Instead of reaching into those glass cases, he reaches behind the counter, and he pulls out a box a lot like this, and he takes the lid off, and, and there's like amazing stuff in here, right? Like a kazoo, you know, and you're, oh, whoa, there's one of these, this little thing that flies through the air like a basketball. Sorry, ma'am. And then there's a, uh, there's a styrofoam airplane, right? Oh, and there's this little thing. It's a, it's a little coin that says madly on it. And you're like, oh, sweet. And, and, and so you have all this stuff from your one trillion tickets, and you're, you're going out the door of Chuck E. Cheese, and you start to do the math, and you're like, wait a minute. Those tickets cost me like 100 bucks, and I'm walking out of here with like three bucks worth of stuff that I could have bought at the Oriental Trading Company for one buck. And you're doing the math, and you're wondering why you didn't just place an order with the Oriental Trading Company and cut out the middleman who serves you cardboard-crusted pizza. You don't need that. And they took all your money. And we laugh, like, ha ha, yeah, it's a day at Chuck E. Cheese's, right? Those worthless tickets. But honestly, how many of us sitting in this room have traded our thinking about Chuck E. Cheese tickets for the same exact thinking about our money? How many of us have made that exact same transaction? We think, if I could just get enough tickets, quote unquote tickets, if I could just get more tickets, then I could buy the things that will make me happy, make me feel secure for the rest of my life. The problem with that is that the tickets and the money and the wealth are deceitful. They just are. Every one of them are deceitful. Uh, at least that's what Jesus said. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Mark chapter 4. This will be on the screens for you too. Jesus tells a parable in Mark 4 about a farmer who went out and planted some seed. And here's how the story goes, Mark 4, picking up in verse 3. Listen, exclamation point, Jesus says. We, we better pay attention, right? A farmer went out to plant some seed. He scattered it across his field. Some of the f- seed fell on a footpath. Fancy word for trail. Some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. That's a bummer, isn't it? Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Another bummer. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so they produced no grain. Bummer. 
Still other seeds fell, check this out, on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And the disciples hear that, and they're scratching their head, and they're going, huh? I don't get it. What's that mean? So Jesus unpacks what it means, Mark 4, down to verse 14. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they do not last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns, check this out, represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell in the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. If you go back up to verse 19, the NIV rendering of that text is this. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, there it is, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things chokes out the word of God and the work of God in people's lives. The deceitfulness of wealth chokes out the word of God and the work of God in people's lives. Why? Because wealth is so deceitful. Wealth, just like Chuck E. Cheese tickets, promises things that they can never deliver on. Happiness and security, but they're empty promises, aren't they? Those are things that only God himself can deliver. Wealth is that deceitful. Two weeks ago, we kept making this statement, God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. And we're gonna add on to it this week, and so it's gonna actually read like this. God has blessed me with more than I need, and we're gonna keep adding on each week from here on out. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. But I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And I'm gonna ask you to actually say that out loud with me right now. So let's just read it together. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. But I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And what's true and what we must understand is that, folks, we have an enemy, don't we? A very real enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan's goal is to make you serve money. He wants you to bow down and worship money. He wants you to be underneath money's power. He wants you to bow down. Brian. Hey, Brian, over here. Right back here. Uh, uh, one, one second. I'm really sorry. This is terrifically embarrassing, but if you, will you hang on just one second? Brian! Dude. Brian, so good to see you. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> this guy. Every time. I like this guy. I like it. In case you're wondering... This is not the best time. Like, you know what? Like, I'm in the middle of a sermon right yeah. out here. I don't care about things like that. Yeah, well, I like don't, a couple I don't of, care about things like that. A couple of days ago, this would have been just fine, but like, well, yeah. now of yeah. all times? Yeah, my, my timing. Yeah, all right. Okay, uh, I think they're patient people. Yeah. And so we got just a minute here, as long as you're here. Right, you're not going anywhere. No, no. <laughs> what, like, talk to me about money. Like, what, what, what do you think about money? Money. What's the deal I, with money? I mean, off, off the record, right? I mean, no, no one's gonna see or or, or hear this, right? I mean, I mean, if, if 
if you if you want to talk about money, I mean that that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, because you're kind of the master of using it to mess up people's lives, right? So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, here, here's the deal. Money, money just has the way of taking over someone's heart, right? It's got this this way of of making servants, right? People who are all about money. Like here, here. Let me let me see that. What? what? Yeah, just let, let me this. See that. Yeah, yeah. You, you. What are you gonna do with uh, it? Just I gotta show you something. Huh? I gotta look real quick. I'm just gonna look it up. Right. So, what? Ha- Oh, yeah. Satan's using my Bible app. It's, I mean, you, you're gonna, you want to use this again? You're going <laughs> to use it after this? Maybe. Right? All right, so, so here, here, right? It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right? Like, like it, it's, yeah, yeah you, could, you could use it again. You could use it, right? It has this, this way, again, of you taking over people's heart. Like, I'm kind of honored. God's not saying, right, like, you, you can't serve both God and me. But it's 100%. Like, money is 100%. It's, it's all of that. It takes over all of your heart, right? Like, that's what he's saying. Yeah. You can't serve both. So how do you do it when you're trying to... Use money oh. to mess people up, kind of. Yeah, you that, know, like you got to you got to buy the newest car. You got to get the the iPad because that's all the the rage, right? And mm. and you've got that. I see newest gaming system. You know, like the the next best thing. This is what I love, right? Like you can't wear that shirt. That is so last season, as if as if clothes are just gone in six months, right? Like that. It's great. No, no. This is this is great. Money's great. Yeah. What do you think about credit cards? Love them. Satan love them. loves credit Absolutely cards. Love them. Great. Nothing wrong with them. Great. No, not a thing. Not a thing. You have them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, tons of them. You know, and, I, and do you pay them off? Well, yeah. I, I mean, with with another one, no interest, six months. Right. I I actually got I got a great deal. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cor- corporate ladder, right? Completely fueled by money. It just it tears families apart. Right, people are working all the time. It's like no no days off, twenty four seven work, work, work. And here's the deal: get this. If you really want to see people squirm, drop the stock market hundreds of points. Right? Yeah. Ooh, you did that? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that I, I did that, but but it works, right? Here's the deal: maybe maybe I'm an addict. Maybe maybe I've I've got a problem. I just want to get people to serve money. I mean, you know, fudging some numbers on an expense report or, or cheating, cheating on their taxes. I mean, I, I don't do that. I use TurboTax. <laughs> right? Right? Satan uses TurboTax. Yeah. There's a resounding endorsement. Yeah, here, here, let me, let me, I know this is bad. This is, this is a, a major faux pas. Right? For me. One, one more. For, for, the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Like, that's good stuff. All kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with, with many sorrows. Right? Like, like here, here's, here's the deal. I don't, I don't agree with a lot of this, this Bible thing. Right? Not a lot. But, but that's good stuff. Yeah. All kinds of evil. Like, Brian, that's me. That's me. That is right up my alley. All kinds of evil. Good stuff. Right there. What? We're good. We were, we were rolling? Roll, ha, have some integrity, Brian. Where's, 
Where's the integrity in the church? This is, this is bull. This is bull. We'll try to not have that happen again. It's weird back there. And see, for almost every single one of us, money will be the number one competitor with God for who and what's going to rule your heart. It's true. Now, a whole bunch of us sitting here will say, well, I know so-and-so who loves money, but I don't. But really, is that entirely true? I would say that many, many, many of us do actually love money, which is a significant spiritual problem. But how do you know if you love and trust money? Number one, people who love and trust money, they never have enough. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. People who love and trust money, they never have enough. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.10. Here it is, black and white. Those who love money will never have enough. And absolutely no show of hands on this one, but how many of you see yourself all over that verse? I see me. I do. And I really, really, really want to be able to say that I don't love money, but I play this game in my head all the time. Maybe you do this as well. If only I had more, I say, then I'd be happy. If only I had more, well, then I'd feel secure. If only I had more, well, then I would be entirely satisfied. But there it is in black and white. Those who love money will never have enough. And here's what this looks like for me. I often think about how if I had more, then I could buy more, and then I'd be happy more, and then my wife would be happy more, and then our kids would be happy more. Maybe you do that as well. Let me just talk with you for a moment about, uh, just as an example, about the Hopkins family home, our house. Four years ago, we moved out of an 1,800-square-foot, three-bedroom condo that we bought when we first moved to Bozeman, and we moved into a four-bedroom, 2,300-square-foot house. Now, there was not anything whatsoever wrong with our condo. It was our yuppie, kidless neighbors who were starting to literally leave very unpleasant notes on our front porch about how our infant daughters crying at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday was too loud for them and disrupted their sleeping in on the only day of the week that they could possibly sleep in. After just a couple of those notes, I looked at my wife and said, honey, we, we we just have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. Our daughter Jasmine, she was less than a year old, and well, what do you know? Less than one-year-old kids, they do this crazy thing. They cry, right? They just do. And I couldn't ask Dana to, like, muzzle the kid so that our neighbors could sleep past 9 o'clock in the morning. And so we sold the condo. And that was back in the day when condos actually sold, right? And we moved into this house. We didn't have shared walls with anyone else. We shared fences with neighbors, and that was cool. And that was a great move. We got another 500 square feet or so in the move, another bedroom, and all was well. Well, then last fall, we did this other crazy thing. We brought home these three kids from Ethiopia, adopted them into our family, and all of a sudden, our house that suited six really, really well now was difficult at best for a family of nine. Now, as I stand here today, that house has been for sale for almost 16 months, and I want you to see something. Look very closely. I'm still alive. We're, we're just fine. We're just fine. And honestly, it would be really nice, yes, to have more space for guests, for our kids' friends to come over and so. But honestly, the Hopkins family has almost fallen into this trap of thinking, well, if we could just sell this house, buy a fantastic new house, then we would be really, really happy. But that right there, folks, is the deceitfulness of wealth. It is the deceitfulness of wealth because honestly, is our happiness really defined by the number of bedrooms or the square footage of our house? Not a chance. But that is the deception of wealth. If I had more, I'd be happy. 
If my stack of stuff was bigger, then I would feel entirely and totally secure, happy, and so. And the deception of wealth works just like this. Before we even realize what's happening in our heart, as we start to accrue even a reasonable-sized stack of stuff and tickets and wealth and such, our trust transfers from God where our trust belongs onto our stack of stuff. But then we realize that our stack of stuff isn't actually making us feel secure like we thought it would. And so we think, oh, it must be because my stack of stuff isn't big enough. It must need to be bigger. Then I would feel secure. And so you set out to make your pile of stuff even bigger. And then you realize, or sometimes you don't realize, well, you've been deceived. You've been tricked. You've been sold a bill of goods that is as false as the day is long. And here's a question that ought to smack us all square in the forehead. How much money does it take for you to feel utterly and completely and totally secure? How much money does it take? What's the answer to that? It's more than you have right now. More than you have right now. It's always the answer, isn't it? Because wealth is that deceitful. And those who love money, they never have enough. Proverbs 18, 11, check this out. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. How many of us think, just like that proverb, if my pile of stuff can just be this big or this big or this big, well, then I'd be safe. No one could get to me. Nothing can threaten me. Then I'll be utterly secure. But what's just happened? Wealth has deceived you once again. Number two, those who love and trust money, they might have money in the bank, but they do not have peace in their hearts. They do not have peace in their hearts. Another way to say it would be to say it this way. They might have all the toys in the garage that you can possibly imagine, but they have no peace in their hearts still. Look at what Proverbs 15, 16 says. Better to have what? Little, yes. Better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. And like we talked about a couple of weeks back now, you are rich. You might not feel rich, but you are rich. And most rich people I know have great inner turmoil, which is so utterly bizarre. Most of us make more money than our parents ever did, and we still have inner turmoil. Many, many, many of us have crossed over that rich line we talked about, and as soon as you crossed over that rich line, you found out that the rich line had moved, and so you worked and worked and worked some more, and then you crossed the new line, and your stack of stuff is bigger, but there isn't any more peace in your heart. And how many of us, as we sit here today, we have more than we ever dreamed we would possibly have, and at the same time, you have more inner turmoil than you ever thought imaginable, not to mention the nonstop financial pressure that weighs on you like a literal ton of bricks. And Journey, I want to get real pastoral with you, and I wouldn't say this if I didn't have the utmost love and care for every single one of you, but the truth is that there are people around you who make half and one-third and one-fourth of what some of you make every year, and for the life of them, they cannot figure out why you're so financially stressed all the time. You know what the answer is? It's because you're so busy consuming every single bit of what God gives you, every single time he gives it to you, and you have absolutely no margin whatsoever, and you're miserable, and you're thinking that this thing or that thing will make you happy, and sure, you've got the toys, and you've got the look, and you've got the house, and you're not satisfied, and you're miserable, and you are stressed. You have been deceived. You've been tricked. That is the deceitfulness of wealth, and for some of you, it is just consuming your life. Number three, those who love and trust money, they find it very, very difficult to give big. They find it very, very difficult to give big. Why? 
because we never ever feel like we have enough. And here's how this goes for a lot of us. A lot of people think, if I just had more money, well then, that would solve most all of my problems. We've all thought that at some point, haven't we? That's what so many of us are still caught in the trap of thinking. If I had more stuff, if we just had that income, if we just had that house, if we just had that car, if we just had that gadget, whatever. If we just had this much money in the bank, that would solve most all of our problems. And I'm telling you the truth today that if and when you're thinking like that, you are directly under the influence of money. You are under its power. It is controlling you. You are serving money. Because if you think for a half a second that more money will make things better, you have been deceived. Is more money going to keep your kids off drugs? No. Is more money going to keep your kids loving Jesus with their heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. Is more money going to heal your best friend or your relative of cancer? No. Is more money going to make your marriage any better? No. You might think it will. It might feel to you like it will, but it will not. Thinking that just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more will make everything suddenly better is the marker of the deception that so many of us have swallowed hook, line, and sinker. And that thinking runs out to a place, and here's where it leads to. When we could give very generously to the advancement of God's kingdom here on the planet, we don't. We don't. Why? Because we're trying so hard to make our stack of stuff bigger and bigger and bigger. And let me just get real, real practical about how this fleshes itself out. I'm certain that there are people across the life of our church who've heard the biblical teaching on the tithe, which is the teaching that actually 10% of our stuff belongs to God and that you bring the tithe to God by giving to your local church. And you've heard that some point along the way in your spiritual journey and you've thought to yourself, you know, that's probably right. I get it. I see how God probably blesses those who give in that way. And then I'm sure there are lots and lots and lots of people across the life of our church who have said, you know, I love my church. I love what it's about. I love how it helps me in my relationship with God. I see how it's helping my friends who are far from God. I love nothing more than to do that tithe 10% thing. But whenever I start to think about writing that tithe 10% thing check, I think, 10%? 10%? No way. I can't do that. Why? Because I need that. Because I want that. Because I got to build my stack of stuff. And do you want to hear one of the most bizarre things you will ever hear? Do you know that studies show over and over and over again that percentage-wise, those who have less give more. And those who have more give less Absolutely, there's an exception to everything. But the studies show over and over and over again, those with a smaller stack of stuff give away grossly higher percentages than those with a huge stack of stuff. Why? It's because riches are so deceptive. Those with a giant stack of stuff, they start trusting in their stack instead of trusting in God. And those who don't have a stack at all They can't trust in their stuff, and so what do they do? They just trust in God, which is trust rightly placed. And some of us, we've got big stacks of stuff, but we don't know how to give. We don't know how to give, which is not the way to be rich. That is the way to be selfish, honestly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which is a part of his second letter to the church at the city of Corinth, the apostle Paul, he is talking about a group of people that were truly, truly poor. 
Now, when I say truly poor, I'm not talking about quote-unquote American poor, which some of us in this room, we would call ourselves that, right? Some of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm poor, but you're poor while you're, remember this one, while you're watching $80 a month cable TV on your $1,000 LCD flat screen while eating $25 pizza that was delivered to the door of your home, and you're drinking a $5 city brew latte. And we call that poor in America. That, that is not poor. Paul is talking about some people who are really like dirt poor, poverty poor, poorest of the poor, we call them sometimes. And look at what he says about these folks. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. They, these poor people, are being tested by many troubles. And what? They are very poor. But check this out. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. No one twisted their arm or compelled them in any way. They did it of their own free will. Paul's talking about people who are living in dirt poor poverty. They're filled with abundant joy that overflowed in rich generosity. That is totally counterintuitive to us, is it not? The Bible is saying that not only did those dirt poor people give more than what they could afford, they didn't have big stacks of stuff to trust in. They gave way more than they could ever afford. They simply trusted in God. They gave so generously. And so you want to be rich. You want to be rich. That's how. That's how to be rich right there. And the deal is that Satan's going to be whispering in your ear, And he's going to be whispering something along the lines of, give to God when. Maybe you've heard it. Give to God when your student loan is paid off. Give to God when your car is paid off. Give to God when you get that raise somewhere out there on the horizon. Give to God when you get the house that you want. Give to God when the savings account is at X. Give to God when you're debt free. Give to God, give to God, give to God when. That's what Satan's going to say to you. And some of you have heard it very clearly And you know what God's invitation to every single one of us, me included, is? Give now. Give now. Be generous now. Stop being deceived now. Give now. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just move into a posture of prayer and listening, worship, And could I just ask you a couple of very pointed questions for you and the Lord to noodle on? First one's this. Do you love money? And do you want to be all done loving money? Do you love money and do you want to be done with that? And then second, do you want to be all done? Do you want to be freed up from the deceitfulness of wealth? If that's you, just right where you're sitting, I just invite you to talk to God about that. Just tell him that you want to be freed up. You don't want to love money anymore. You don't want to be deceived by wealth anymore. Just have a conversation with him right here, right now. Just declare your desire for his help being free. And then maybe there's another group of people here today who are going, yep, I love money. I've been deceived by riches, absolutely. I've got all the stuff, yes. But in my soul, I know 
I'm bust. I'm bankrupt. I'm all empty and I'm all hollowed out and I don't know God, but I need to know God and I want to know God. I want to follow him. I am bust spiritually. I need a savior. I'm tired of being deceived. I'm tired of loving money. I get it. And if that's you, I just invite you to tell him as much. You can do that in a prayer that goes something like this. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. I want a relationship with you. Please come into my life, God. I'm all done with my stuff. I'm going your way. I repent. I turn. God, I'm going with you from here on out. That deceitfulness of riches and that love of money stuff, God, I want to be set free from that, please. I want to trust you and trust you alone. I need you, my Savior, friend, Redeemer the one who loves my soul. And if that's you, if you just prayed with me then to invite God into your life, could I just ask you right where you're sitting just to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yep, I, yeah, right, yeah, right back there. Just look up and lock eyes with me. Make sure I catch your eye if you would. And right back there, yes. I'm saying yes with you. Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I'm done. Yeah, way to go. Over there and right there. Yes. And in the back, right there. Yes. I see you. Way to go. And right there. Yes. Way to go. You're being freed up, set free, made new. Back there. Yeah, I see you. Way to go. Way to go. Life is never the same from here on out for you. God, we just say thank you. Thank you, first of all, for loving us so much that you sent your son. You didn't have to do that. Thank you for choosing to save us, God. Every one of us. And God, our heart is that we wouldn't be ever caught up in anything in this life and here on the planet that distracts us from you. We don't want to be. We want to be caught up completely in you, which means we want to be freed up from the love of money. We want to be freed up from the deceitfulness of riches, God. But we need your help and your strength and your courage to walk that out. You give us the courage to step that out day by day by day. Sometimes, God, it's going to mean that we're going to make decisions that are countercultural, that seem weird. Because that's us stepping off of the treadmill the world tries to set us on. And we're just saying we're going to do this different. We're living to please God, not anyone else. And God, may all of that be real pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you, our Heavenly Father.